Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. This week, the workers' movement lost a titan. Tony Mulhern was the leader of the mass working class campaign in Liverpool that took on and beat Margaret Thatcher in the 1980s. The lessons of the battles Tony was part of have huge relevance for the struggles facing workers and young people today. So in paying tribute to Tony Mulhern, we'll be discussing how one city beat Thatcher with Marxist ideas and workers' struggle. We'll also be hearing some audio clips of Tony speaking, addressing a mass rally hosted by Militant in 1988, discussing at workers' movement conferences in the last decade, and excerpts of both Tony Mulhern and Peter Taff in a televised debate from 1982 opposing the right wing of Labour by calling for a socialist programme and an end to expulsions in the Labour Party. This episode of Socialism looks at the life and times of Tony Mulhern, Militant and Liverpool, the city that dared to fight. Tony Mulhern was a giant of the workers' movement in Britain. His death will be mourned not only by his family, to whom the Socialist Party sends our heartfelt sympathies and condolences, but also by his comrades in the Socialist Party and Committee for a Workers' International, and by the working class, especially in Liverpool. This episode will be discussing the political ideas and methods Tony spent his life fighting for. Joining us is Peter Taff, General Secretary of the Socialist Party and author with Tony of the book Liverpool, A City That Dared to Fight. Hello, Peter. Hello, James. So I think we should start by putting Tony's political contribution in context. The incredible events that Tony and yourself helped to lead came about due to the determined struggle for Trotskyist ideas carried out by the militant tendency, now called the Socialist Party. But militant had very modest beginnings. So how was it possible for the militant to rise from being a small group to a major force in society? Yes, it's a very good question. And it's a question that our opponents never really answer. Because we were not just a small group, we were a tiny group Hmm. based largely amongst working class young people, a few older people on Merseyside, connected to some of the old veterans who'd struggled over many decades in the post-war, post-1945 period to keep the thread of socialism, of Marxism going on Merseyside, but people like myself, who joined through the experience of the campaign against nuclear disarmament, of others who preceded me, like Ted Mooney and Terry Harrison, who'd been involved in the apprentices' strike Mm -hmm. of 1960. I joined and we revived what were really the embers of the Marxist movement, the genuine Marxist movement, on Merseyside at that time which was grouped around a journal called Socialist Fight. It was a very modest journal, only occasionally produced. In fact, our opponents used to call it Socialist Flight, (laughs) here today and gone tomorrow. And we cut our teeth in involvement in the struggle of the apprentices who carried on the struggle. We led an apprentices' strike in 1964. Tony Mulhern, after I joined, came along. We and other comrades won him to socialist fight, mm-hmm. to what became the militants a little bit later on, and then, of course, the Socialist Party today. And Tony made a very big contribution. Of course, he had to learn the ideas of Marxism and the ideas of socialism and how to express that mm-hmm. to working people. But Merseyside was a very good school in general, for anybody who had the willpower, as we had, and the determination to grasp socialist ideas, which we did very enthusiastically, and we developed the power of, of militants, of what became militants. First of all, socialist fighters, as I said, in the Socialist Party, but we developed our forces from a very small group, nationally, of no more than about 40, mm. with people like Ted Grant in London and a few people scattered in Nottingham, in Glasgow, and so on. But the main hub of the revival of Marxism was in Merseyside that had a tradition, particularly through the traditions of Jimmy Dean, Brian Dean, and the Deans on Merseyside. And we were determined to build a powerful movement. There were other organisations of the left, such as the Socialist Workers' Party, that were much bigger than us. Mm. But they had a student base. They had very little especially amongst the working class 
in Liverpool. We rooted ourselves in the working class, we clarified our ideas, we produced a programme, and then the question was, where do we work? Well, there's been a traditional Merseyside to work as the left of the Labour Party. And we continued that tradition. In fact, in the Labour Party, we concentrated on the youth wing because that was the most important section of the working class, mm. which renews itself through a new generation of young people. So we concentrated on the youth and we gradually built up our position in Merseyside. We spread nationally and even internationally later on. Mm -hmm. And we built the most potentially powerful and powerful working class, specifically working class rooted in the workers' organisations of the youth and the trade unions. In my opinion, of any Marxist, alleged Marxist or Trotskyist organisations in Western Europe, and one of the most successful internationally, because we went from that to winning over the Labour Party Young Socialists and mm -hmm. Tony he didn't play a big role in the Labour Party Young Socialists, partly concentrating on the trade unions because he was a bit older than us when he joined the movement. Mm -hmm. But from the beginning, took to the ideas like a duck to water. And as you say, played a giant role within the Labour Party itself. We went from 40 nationally, a handful in Liverpool, two branches that we controlled in Birkenhead and Bootle, where I was based, mm -hmm. In, in Birkenhead. Branches of the Young Socialists. Branches of the Young Socialists. Then we won over the Merseyside Federation. We took it away from the Workers' Revolutionary Party. We built up a powerful section of the youth. We turned into the Labour Party and began to have an effect in the Labour Party. And we gradually won over the majority of the Labour Party Young Socialists. I had an old right-winger come to see me recently mm -hmm. and said, well, how did you do it, Peter? Because I've examined what you have done. And there's no group that's comparable to what you've done, where we were not just a factor in the situation, we were the decisive factor in the Liverpool struggle. And Tony Mulhern, Derek Hatton, and all the comrades around them, they played the key leadership role mm. in the struggles, really, of the 1980s, which defeated Thatcher. That's one question that you no doubt will ask in relation to the progress of that struggle. And Tony Mulhern developed very quickly as a very developed Marxist politician, a very acute strategist, which prepared him very well to become occupy a leading role later on in the adult labour movement, if you like, and to play a key role in the struggles that developed, particularly in the 1980s and subsequently. So by arguing for Marxist ideas within the organisations of the working class, focusing particularly on the young workers, Militant was able to gain a base. And with Militant, Tony went on to be a leader, as you said, in a mass working class movement in Liverpool. But he started out as just a young print worker, isn't that right? Yes. He was working in the National Graphical Association. He didn't hold any positions, when, from what I remember, when he came to us in the first instance. So but that was, was the, the print union, the National The print union, yes. It was very, it was very assiduous. And very quick to pick up ideas. Of course, we discussed all aspects of the work in common. Mm -hmm. We discussed the tactics, the strategy and the tactics in relation to the trade unions. We had a layer of workers in our party. We didn't lecture them. We went to school by listening to the workers and discussing with them of how they proceeded on the shop floor. Mm -hmm. Tony did that as a young worker. Gradually, you develop a confidence and so on. I led, for instance effectively, the Apprentices' Strike of 1964, the earlier strike. I wasn't involved within that, nor was Tony. Of 1960, people like Terry Harrison and Ted Mooney mm. were leaders in that massive strike. But nevertheless, we learned the strategy and tactics in the course of discussions in the movement, and that prepared myself and people like Tony. I was not an industrial worker. Mm. I was a local government worker, so I wasn't in the same position to have an effect in the trade unions directly, but I had, of course, a big effect, I think, indirectly on the trade unions in discussing the strategy and the tactics for the success of a struggle. I want to emphasise that this is an important aspect of Marxism, where you win young people who are a bit green, like we were, mm. in trade union activity, 
you have to put yourself on the standpoint of the working class. Even though I came from a working class background, Tony had some experience in industry. Nevertheless, we had to learn the lessons that every generation has had to learn of how to conduct strikes, of how to win over workers, the strategy, the tactics and so on in the course of the movement. All of that prepared us for the epic battle in Liverpool in the period prior to 1983, but particularly after 1983 in relation to the Liverpool City Council. Now, speaking of that, from 1983 to 1987, Liverpool had a socialist Labour Council with the main political direction coming from supporters of the militant, and that council was controlled by mass involvement of the Liverpool working class. So how did that work? Well, it didn't happen overnight. <laughs> it happened through us arguing for our position mm -hmm. in relation to opposition to the austerity cuts, the brutal and vicious austerity cuts where millions were stolen from Liverpool mm. in revenue by the Thatcher government. And when we argued, when in opposition, much earlier than 1983, that's our comrades in Liverpool. Yeah, now let me make this point, uh, Mr. Toohey. In the county elections of 1980, there was a big swing that Labour took control of the county council. In 1982, Liverpool was the only major city which recorded a swing right. to Labour, whilst in Mr. Spillar's area, Labour was devastated after him and his colleagues had carried through a programme of cuts in the Birmingham area. Now, if you look at the record, look at the last local government election results. In Birmingham, where John Speller comes from, dominated by his friend Roy Hattersley, who refused to appear on this programme, by the way. I made that point in the introduction. He's, he's, he, can, he can go to the media and come out with all kinds of distortions about militants, but an open democratic discussion and debate he's not prepared to undertake. Now, in Birmingham, in the last local government election elections, in that city, Labour went down to a defeat to the Tories. In Liverpool, where the policies of militants have a predominant influence, the a Liberals big influence. Still run it. Within the Labour Party of Liverpool, there was a net gain for the Labour Party. And they discussed at every stage the strategy and the tactics with us. For instance, during the Liverpool struggle, I spoke to Tony Mulhern and other comrades every day. Tony Mulhern, Derek Hatton, every day to discuss the strategy and the tactics. I learnt a lot from them. They learnt a lot from myself, I think, and other comrades in the course of the battle itself. And we devised a strategy of fighting the cuts, but of no compensation for the cuts on the basis of rate rises mm. or cuts in government services or any of the kind of fancy methods that attempted to be used by, unfortunately, by Labour councils today. We said that Liverpool had lost millions of pounds. I think it was about... £83 million they'd lost, which had been stolen by the government. It's all in, in, in the book, Liverpool, a city that dared to fight, that myself and Tony Mulhern produced. Mm -hmm. And in the rise of militant, all the detail is there, assiduously recorded and backed up by statistics, by facts and figures. And we gradually won over the Liverpool labour movement and others in the region to the idea of no cuts of no rate increases. And rates were like the forerunner to council tax. They were, yes, to compensate for Tory cuts. It was a battle because the same argument of the dented shield wasn't called that at that stage, but the argument where we have no choice but to carry on the cuts, what can we do against the national government? All of that was used by these councils. The Labour Party was swinging towards the left. There was about 25 councils that decided to stand on this platform, including Sheffield with David Blunkett, Ken Livingston in London, mm -hmm. but they capitulated under the pressure of the right wing of the Labour Party and only Liverpool and to some extent Lambeth mm. were prepared to stand out and defy the Thatcher government. But that meant not just defying in words, but mobilising a mass movement. Mm. It was a colossal movement. And Tony Mulhern played a key role as the voice particularly of the district Labour Party. Derek Hatton was the voice on the council, if you like. So he was the deputy leader of the council. Deputy leader of the council, and really was seen as one of the leaders, mm. if not the leader, on the public terrain 
of the, the council itself, Tony was seen as the leader internally in the Labour Party itself. He wasn't immediately the chairman of the district Labour Party because he was very modest in his approach, like all the best leaders. He didn't believe in going for positions mm. for the sake of them, but only by building up support did he gradually, was he, he was pushed by the pressure of the rank and file to take over the leadership of the district Labour Party. And the district Labour Party had mass meetings, didn't it? Hundreds of delegates, you had mass meetings and rallies in the city of thousands of people. Yes, yes. So what was Tony's role within the district Labour Party? What was the district Labour Party and what was Tony's role within it? Well, the district Labour Party was really the central body in Liverpool of all of the delegates elected by the different Labour parties to send their representatives to a central meeting in Liverpool, usually once a month, maybe a bit more, a bit less frequent than that. And that district Labour Party decided the policy of the movement in the course of the battle. I should say, by the way, they decided that on the basis of the recommendations mm. of the militants, as it came to be constituted in 1964, of militant supporters and comrades who occupied a key position. They were never a majority. We never had more than a handful of councillors but the arguments that we put forward resonated and articulated the way that the majority of the councillors and the, the delegates attending the district Labour Party felt in this epic struggle with the uh, Iron Lady herself, who after all had humbled Galtieri, was about to defeat the miners, mm. but she did not initially defeat Liverpool. Liverpool actually fought her to a finish, forced that government of Thatcher to retreat, to give concessions to Liverpool, to give some of the money back that had been stolen, which then allowed the council to carry through reforms in the interests of the working class. And Tony Mulhern played a key role in relation to that. He was also an astute tactician because we tried to train our forces, not just on accepting a propaganda programme, mm. but when to attack, when to conserve your forces, went sometimes to make a tactical retreat mm. to prepare for an offensive later on. And Tony had a very good sense of tactics as well as strategy. We went in Liverpool, by the way, to a 1,000 members mm. and lots of full-timers, which were paid for by the contributions of ordinary workers. And these, these members, you know, these comrades of ours, they played a phenomenal role. Even some of them who left our ranks later on they played a tremendous role in this battle. Tony was not just Tony or the councillors. Of course, it was hundreds of comrades and hundreds of workers who rallied to this, but they need leaders. And Tony was a leader who, who stood steadfast in defence of the, the strategy that had been worked out. It had been worked out in a combination between the comrades in Liverpool and the national leadership of militant tendency at that stage, as we recall broadly, in the movement itself. So Tony was president of this body, which included delegates from the trade union branches, yes. from community campaigns, did it? Yes. This was the most democratic body, probably within the British labour movement. It was made up, the composition was trade unions, party branches, constituency parties, the youth organisations, the women's organisations, the co-ops, all coming together in this vibrant, organisational body, which was equipped with a fighting programme. But it wasn't on the basis of behind-the-scenes deals. This was on the basis of honestly presenting our programme in front of the working class and asking them to support it. And support it they did. So, and it had an average of about 700 people attending each month. Now, which section? of the Labour movement has had 700 people attending. Mm. In fact, the right wing said that the DLP, as it was called, the District Labour Party, was an unrepresentative caucus. <laughs> I mean, the unrepresentative caucus, this is what the DLP supplanted, of tiny meetings of mostly right wing Labour who discouraged workers from joining. There was one famous case where, in, in the case of one London constituency, when people joined, they said, we're full up. We don't, don't accept any more <laughs> members. That's probably a, a joke, an apocryphal tale. But nevertheless, it wasn't very far from the truth where they discouraged workers from joining because workers came in with new ideas, fresh ideas, 
and were pushing for the labour movement to defend their class. So that mass body which Tony chaired, that was broadly representative of the masses of the working class yes. in Liverpool. And famously, the policies which Militant argued for and won that mass body to and fought for through that mass body allowed the council to confront and, as you say, defeat Margaret Thatcher, at least initially. And this was the first of two historic defeats for the Iron Lady, each of which was at the hands of a mass movement led by Militant. So what were the Liverpool Council's main achievements? Well, the main achievements is visible. Mm. You know, we always say that inherent in reformism is betrayal. If you ask for very little, you'll get nothing. Mm. If you ask for a bit more than little, you might get something. Mm. But you've got to make demands of the enemy class, of capitalism, which corresponds to the needs of working people. This movement in Liverpool did not drop from the sky. Mm. It was a kind of metaphor for the rest of Britain, and particularly for the, the so-called industrial areas, the heavy industry areas, which Merseyside was not so much heavy industry, it was light industry, some heavy industry, unskilled workers and so on, like the Dockers and others. Mm -hmm. Manchester was more the heavy industry, and that suffered, of course, and we see the legacy of that in the conditions which exist in these areas today. Mm. But there was mass revolt against the closure of the factories. And that was reflected within the labour movement. There were mass demonstrations. The support for militants, again, I have to repeat, did not develop in one day. It was a gradual process where we argued for our ideas. We were defeated many times. Mm. But like in ancient Rome, like with the Greek god Antaeus, every time we were thrown to the floor... We got renewed strength from the determination of the working class who were prepared to fight. And Tony got that strength from the development of the militants, which was effectively able to have a colossal influence, a determining influence in the broad movement itself. Even when people were not members, mm. they were deemed to be members or supporters <laughs> by our opponents. Such was the influence of militants. We had the National Weekly Militants, which we built up, mm. We had a whole number of full-timers, but we also had a twice-weekly paper news twice-weekly because we had the Mersey Militant, mm. which added to the national news but dealt with the conditions on Merseyside in Liverpool itself. And it spread to the whole area where a combative militant mood developed. And we found that people who formerly, politically, were on the right, they considered themselves to be Labour moderates was the term, nevertheless, they were unequivocal in their support of no compensation for cuts in rate rises or cuts. Mm. And therefore, you know, the mass movement developed and that mass movement confronted Thatcher. Well, let's explain what we did. We organised through the local authority shop stewards, the Transport and General Workers Union, AEU, all of the industrial organisations came into a mighty campaign uh, supporting the Liverpool City Council. And on that basis, we were able to mobilise the biggest demonstrations ever seen in the city of Liverpool since 1911 and 1926. And it was that that forced the Tory to retreat in 1984-85 and conceded £60 million to the Liverpool City Council to allow us to implement our programme. And the success of that campaign was to raise the level of awareness of the Liverpool working class. On every street corner, in every pub, Discussions took place on the level of rate support grants, which was being deprived of the city by the Tory government. We put out a quarter of a million new sheets every month. We organised mass demonstrations. The biggest demonstration of 50,000 people and a one-day general strike in the city of Liverpool was part and parcel of the campaign. Now, what were the achievements? The achievements were a house-building programme where Reg Underhill, who'd expelled me from the Labour Party a few years before, mm. and the militant editorial board, and was considering himself a bit of an expert, he was the national uh, agent of the Labour Party, considered himself an expert, a right-winger, considered himself an expert in housing, came to Liverpool and said, this is incredible. Liverpool built more houses as a result of the victory that we had than all councils put together. Mm. And not just any houses... We see in the last couple of days the praise that's given for this model. I forget where it is, you know, these new um, model housing built out of cork and so on, and the people love them. Well, yeah. that was done in, in Merseyside with council housing, 
with gardens back and front, mm-hmm. an incredible achievement of sports centres, entirely new parks were created and so on. We took the language of socialism and translated it into the language of houses, the language of jobs, the language of social services, the language of youth employment. We took on more apprentices in our period of office than had been taken on in the previous 20 years. And as a result of our construction programme of houses, of six sports centres, building a new park, of refurbishing the most deplorable houses in uh, Western Europe, and building 5,000 houses, as I said. On one occasion, UCAP, the construction union, ran out of joiners. They couldn't <laughs> supply any more joiners because of the housing programme, because of the construction programme of the Liverpool City Council. It was a, a, a marvel of achievements on a local level, but it was achieved through struggle, through combat with the class enemy that was visible in the form of the Thatcher government. Now, Thatcher retreated in the face of this movement for one reason, the combativity of the working class, but also the miners' strike was taking place at the same time. Mm. And she did not want to fight on two fronts. Mm -hmm. And therefore, she settled. And we had no choice but to agree. When somebody says, we'll give you 80% of what you ask, Mm. Only mad ultra lefts <laughs> would then say, no, you can't accept that. And some people did. Mm. We said, no, we will accept that. And they got huge concessions. And on the night, by the way, that they got those concessions, I was at the Liverpool City Council meeting. I was in Liverpool at the stage. And the number of people that we had around us was so impressive that we decided to have a meeting in our headquarters to join people up with us, to support us. And in fact, it was so big, the numbers who came along, we had to say, current supporters, please leave the building. Only people who are not supporters today should stay in the building. And we joined people en masse. Mm. And we were developing the outline of a mass movement. Remember, it was at this stage that we decided to organise the mass rallies that we had, for instance, in the Albert Hall, mm-hmm. which holds about 5,000, which we filled we went then to the Alexander Palace in 1987, which we filled. Had 500 <laughs> children along in that at the crash, yeah. which was larger than many primary schools yeah. at the time, but was an indication of the support that we were beginning to develop. And I want to stress this, James, not amongst middle-class layers, not that we're opposed to that, because mm. some very good people who've come from that background and have put themselves on the standpoint of the working class. Or students, because they're the fresh new generation, we want them. Mm. But they have to go to school in in the school of the labor movement and learn in the labor movement. But this was built amongst working people, Mm. amongst fitters, amongst joiners, amongst apprentices, amongst the working class who formed the backbone of the militants in Merseyside. And it terrified and frightened the ruling class. And therefore, once Thatcher had crushed the miners, mm. and the only way that she'd crushed the miners was by the trade union leaders letting the miners down, particularly the electricity workers under the direction of the TC not coming to the support of the miners. And in that situation, then they struck, but they couldn't do it under their own banner. Mm. They had to use people like Kinnock, the so-called leader (laughs) of the Labour Party, who put the knife in the back of the Merseyside and Liverpool working class. And I think it's worth mentioning, by the way, when we're talking about Liverpool's achievements, just before we come on to Kinnock sticking the knife in, that, for example, this house-building programme, that this was all according to the wishes of the people who were being moved out of slum accommodation, high-rise accommodation, that the council went to them and said, how would Absolutely. you like to leave? What sort of houses was it? That their desires were then taken to this mass forum for the working class. Absolutely. And the houses were, were built according to the instructions of the people who were being rehoused. Yeah, yeah. So there was working class control over their own communities, over their own facilities being built there. And also thousands of jobs were created yeah, yeah, through yeah. the council's programme, yeah. in particular in some of the most disadvantaged black areas like Toxteth in Liverpool. That's right. That's right. In fact, Lenny McCluskey... The General Secretary of Unite, in the last couple of days, you know, in relation to Tony Mulhern's death, said, Militant got support on Merseyside for one reason. They carried out the wishes of the people of Liverpool. And the example of what they did was visible there, Mm. in the jobs, in the houses, the parks, in the schools, so on and so forth. So... 
as you were just moving on to, the right-wing leadership of the Labour Party, Neil Kinnock and so on, they worked side by side with the Tories and with the capitalist class to sabotage this mass workers' movement in Liverpool and to sabotage the militant tendency. And this led to the expulsion of leading socialists. You had already been expelled along with the militant editorial board. In 1983. One, one straight question to both of you. What will you do if you are prescribed? We, we, if we are prescribed, if we're expelled from the Labour Party, that's not the end of the matter. Well, I've seen, and uh, my uh, Labour Party members back in Liverpool will have seen this week, an organised conspiracy, an organised conspiracy of right-wing trade union leaders with the right wing of the Parliamentary Labour Party, which includes Austin Mitchell, conspiring in hotels in Blackpool and casting their votes, and casting their votes, and casting their votes against the wishes of their delegate conferences, against the wishes of their delegations, in favour of expulsions from the Labour Party. Three to one against you. Three to one. The General and Municipal Workers Union, USDOR, the Transport and General Workers Delegation, cast their vote against their lay organisations who directed them otherwise. Moreover, the rank and file of this party does not accept that verdict. The conference did. You spoke. You spoke. You spoke here today about a three-to-one majority. Now, how was that majority achieved? One of the leaders of one of the union sit wheels, it seems, calls him for flexible mandating. <laughs> Because we have a national executive committee of the Labour Party that unfortunately now has been rigged. If the real views of the rank and file of the party were expressed, then we wouldn't have the present composition of the NEC. But this then led to the expulsion of Tony and others from the Labour Party as well. So what were the circumstances of Tony's expulsion from Labour? Well, they couldn't do, you know, the right wing couldn't do this immediately. Not at the height of the movement. In relation to ourselves, that's the editorial board of the, the militants. Mm -hmm. The five members of the militants editorial board were dragged before the NEC in ritual show trials. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, at the National Executive Committee and then at the Labour Party conference where we were allowed to appeal to something that they didn't do later on. But they, they worked on the assumption if they cut off the head of militants, mm. the body would die. But we'd done our work, we think, very well, assiduously. It wasn't a question just of a few people at the top. Mm -hmm. It was a, a movement that had been built upon raising the level of understanding, the combativity, the willpower to conduct struggle, of training up cadres, which means people who have a sufficient education and willpower that they can act without so-called orders from, from the above, which was not the method of militant anyway. Mm. So they expelled five of the editorial board. But those five members of the militant editorial board, there were thousands who were still members of the Labour Party, including in Liverpool. They mm. could not expel the Liverpool militants at its height because, remember, the state tried to take revenge on the militants and resorted to the courts to surcharge the councillors, mm. surcharging them thousands of pounds. The fine, if that wouldn't have been paid, the houses of the councillors could have been confiscated. confiscated by the state, taken over to pay their debts. A campaign was launched in Liverpool and on Merseyside, and the working class raised enough money to pay off the fines of the bourgeois, of the ruling class, mm to pay off those fines. So it shows you the degree of support, the depth to which the Mersey militants, as they were called, had built up in relation to this struggle and the general position of the movements itself. They could only wait until they thought the position was more favourable, which was seized on by a number of things. I'm not going to go into that, where mistakes were made. Sure. And mistakes are inevitable in a mass movement in relation to the redundancy notices, which I opposed at the time, and the comrades subsequently realised it was a mistake. And we said so publicly, by the way, and that's an important aspect of socialism and of Marxism, that you admit your mistake, mm. 
Because if you don't admit a mistake, then your supporters, members, whatever you want to call them, don't learn mm. from the mistakes. If you make a mistake, say why the mistake was made and learn from it so you can educate yourself and educate working people in the course of the struggle itself. But, but it, it is also worth saying, I think, though, that despite this temporary tactic of issuing redundancy notices simply to buy time, no redundancies were actually exactly. carried out in stark contrast exactly. to Labour Council today if you then harp on about exactly. that. But they, they're actually carrying through the redundancies yeah, they, and the medicine-led council did not. They carry through real redundancies. And by the way, the Merseyside working class, to anybody who says to you that the, the working class are a bit stupid, they don't learn, they're always fooled by the ruling class, they haven't studied working class and labour movement history mm. because the Liverpool working class showed great acumen in judging the situation and independently coming to the conclusion that these people were part of them, stood by them under all circumstances, were therefore going to stand by them. And that's why when Tony Mulhern was expelled, I think he was expelled at one o'clock in the morning at a National Executive Committee, you know, where one of the councillors, Harry Smith, who's known as a bit of a joke smith, he's a very good friend of mine, he's still going, his old Harry, his young Harry, but he told a joke at his hearing for expulsion and he was let off because, <laughs> because Kinnock laughed at the joke. That shows you how frivolous, frivolous Kinnock was. No, he was a very good storyteller. Let's put it like that. A combative militant, like all of the companies you fought. But nevertheless, the militants still carried on outside of the, the Labour Party with some of them, but some of them still with positions in the Labour Party. And there was a second and a third eleven who stepped into their position. Mm. It's just over two years ago since I, along with other good comrades, was expelled from the Labour Party. And those expulsions followed the months of the great slander, as we term it in our book. And it recalls the statement Trotsky made in his history of the Russian Revolution. The government, the courts, the intelligentsia, the municipalities, the Soviet majority, the capitalists, their authors, their orators, the slander poured down like a Niagara months before the expulsions were carried through. And at the bidding of the Tory front bench and the press barons, the right wing of this movement unleashed the most ferocious witch hunt that has ever been seen on the labour movement. Supported by a network of traitors, of stool pigeons, of informers, carried out a systematic campaign of harassment against militant supporters and close allies on the left, closing down party units where militants on the left were in a majority, pushing out and refusing to recognise left delegates to the Liverpool District Labour Party. The right wing, under the leadership of Kinnock, proceeded to smash the DLP, suspended the DLP in 1985, comrades will be called, and the people who moved the suspension was people like Tom Sawyer, Kinnock, who all, as we know, have all ended up in the House of Lords, and we saw Baron Kinnock on Sunday crossing our picket lines outside the conference, and I said, Neil, where's your airmine? I'm really disappointed. And one of the comrades shouted, come on, Neil, buy a copy of the socialist. And he said, oh, I'm finished with all that. And ran and stamped it into the and under the rule of so-called militant tendency, Labour in Liverpool did not lose an election. Mm. Kinnock has never won an election. That's the contrast between the methods of Neil Kinnock and the methods of militants. Remember, with three MPs, the immortal Terry Fields, who went to prison for standing by his class and not uh, for the MP for Broad Green and refusing to pay the poll tax, of Pat Wall who uh, unfortunately and sadly died, mm. and of Dave Nellis, who's still the stalwart of the Socialist Party, and who was fined for the crime of refusing to pay his poll tax. And mm. it's important to see that without the Battle of Liverpool and the achievements of people like Tony Mulhern and hundreds of other militants in the city, then you would never have had the Battle of the Poll Tax, mm. which after all, let's, recall, let's remember this, 
defeated the Iron Lady of World Capitalism. She was seen as the stalwart of World Capitalism. This is the woman who defeated Galtieri in Argentina. Argentina. Yeah. She could not defeat when 18 million people refused to pay the poll tax. And it wasn't the so-called riots of Trafalgar Square. It was the 18 million people which we organised in the Anti-Poll Tax Federation where we had something like 35 of our comrades jailed, mm. who went to jail for their class, over 100 of ordinary poll tax refuseniks who were jailed. That went together with the Battle of Liverpool that Tony Mulhern was involved with. And it's important also to remember that he was victimised, as were others. The other councils, the Immortal 47, for standing up for their class. Mm. He couldn't get a job in his chosen profession of printing. He took up things like taxi driving, so on and so forth. Mm. He remained firm in defence of socialism, of the labour movements, and of course the ideas of militants and the socialist body. And that battle that you were talking about there, the poll tax, that was of course the second major defeat which a militant-led mass movement inflicted on Margaret Thatcher, the poll tax being this flat rate tax being applied to the entire population with a Duke yes. paying the same levels as a dustman, completely iniquitous, which was defeated and which she herself wrote in her memoirs, was responsible for pushing her out of office. So the militant was responsible for the end of Margaret Thatcher. Yes. And Tony was a key participant in those battles, just as he was a leading figure in the Liverpool Council struggle. And you mentioned that under the influence of militant, the militant tendency, the Labour Party never lost an election in Liverpool, but I think you could go further than that, actually, because by every measure, the Labour Party grew exponentially, didn't it, in Liverpool? That not only did the voter turnout in elections rise mm -hmm. and the share of the vote for Labour rose, but the membership of the Labour Party rose and the actual active involvement in Labour Party structures rose. So by every possible measure, this was a mass movement of the working That's class right. and it was all based on fighting for real socialist ideas in practice and working class methods, including mass demonstrations in support of that council and uh, citywide general strike action, those sorts of methods which allowed that to take place on that kind of basis you can create movements which advance real change. Yes, definitely. But in Liverpool, in all of the constituencies where militant supporters have been selected as parliamentary candidates, the membership in those constituencies, in Toxford for instance, has increased by 150. In Brighton, Kemptown, the membership has increased by 500. All last right. Tuesday, if I could just make this point, Mr Toey, last Tuesday, we had a rally in Liverpool in support of the health service workers in support of socialist policies against the witch hunt, which attracted 3,000 people and which raised 1,700, which raised 1700 pounds for the Labour Party. Can any of Mr. He accuses the left of not wanting change. Let's make it absolutely crystal clear. We want change. We want a change of leadership and we want a change from capitalism to socialism. That's the change that we're prepared to accept. Now, you've mentioned that Tony did have trouble finding employment after he was expelled from the Labour Party by the right wing, after he was hounded out of public office by the collusion of Neil Kinnock in the right wing of the Labour Party, after the state and the capitalists shut down completely undemocratically that hugely popular council in Liverpool. And you've also mentioned that he remained a committed trade unionist and Trotskyist right up to the end, that he was active, for example, in the Civil Servants Union PCS because right. he became... Uh, public employee later on. After he retired, he was very active in the Merseyside Pensioners Association, and perhaps most importantly, he was active fighting for the working class Trotskyist ideas of the Socialist Party and Committee for a Workers International right up until his final days. Yeah, absolutely. I would completely endorse that. In fact, he had no truck with anybody who would make unwarranted criticisms of militant, of the Socialist Party and so on. I cannot remember any occasion when they came into a collision with Tony Mulhern. Of course, we had sometimes had the discussion, slight differences on strategy and of tactics and so on, like in any healthy organisation. Mm. But he remained firm in support of the principles that we both stood on since the inception of the militants. And that's the important thing. You see, the right. the let, him, let him deal with those charges. Peter Tapp. You see... In everything, in everything that Austin Mitchell has mentioned here tonight about a conspiracy 
about organisation, etc. There's not one iota of a criticism of the programme and the policies of militant. And that is it's not an accident. It's your organisation we're objecting to. That is not an accident. Net, let none of the working people watching this programme tonight be disheartened by what's happened at this Labour Party conference this week. What we've seen, what we have seen, what we have seen here in Blackpool is the rank and file of the party not prepared to see this party plunge back into turmoil. The Labour Party is a workers' party. Right, the Labour that, Party should be reclaimed by the form. ordinary working people. Yes, and it right. is. There is infiltration. Now, the reason why this attack has been carried out, which I don't believe has the support of those workers who are acquainted with the ideas of militant, is because of our programme. We support all the reforms in Labour's programme. A 35-hour week without loss in pay. A massive programme of public works. But we say that the next Labour government must nationalise not every grocer's shop, but the 200 monopolies that control 80 to 85% of the economy and introduce a socialist plan of production. If it doesn't do that, if it doesn't do that, unfortunately, the next Labour government can create the disillusionment that the last Labour government created. That's why we lost the general election yeah. in 1970. Because sometimes I feel I'm doing enough parallel universe. I observe councillors put the hands up in industrial meetings against the cuts and then go into the council chamber and vote for the same cuts. So you've got this split personality and it's our job because there's no doubt there's a growing feeling of anger amongst the rank and file of the trade union movement constantly running into the bureaucracy. But we can develop and give confidence to that rank and file movement if one single major council stood up today and did what the 47 did, you wouldn't have a housing problem in Britain today. You wouldn't have a jobless problem in Britain today. And if Anderson stood up and had told him time and again and made a stand, and not weeping crocodile tears, he says, he cries every night because he's got to make these cuts. If, in fact, he stood up and appealed to the movement to support a massive campaign and say no to the Tories, he would get the response of the working class in Liverpool and that would act as a beacon to the rest of the trade union and labour movement to do the same. And of course, we know a brief look at history will demonstrate very clearly how the programme of the 47 and the, 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 the strategy and tactics employed by the 47 if it was employed by a single major local authority in Britain today, could probably transform the situation. Inevitably, as a worker, there were periods when he was inundated with problems at work. Of course, he has a very large and loving family mm. who were really cut up by his, what I considered as, as his early death. And they are very eager for his legacy to carry on. We are going through quite a difficult period in the labour movement, you know. Mm. And we have been for some time. Industrial action is at a low ebb. The trade unions are fighting to kind of revive the movement. We are part of that position, but he would never support anybody who tried to turn away from the working class movements mm. and try and look towards other forces to solve the problems of the working class. Of course, we fight for all the oppressed, for all of those who face special oppression, if you like, but nevertheless, the core of our ideas is the working class and their organisations of the trade unions. No matter how difficult that job was, you remain firmly trying to win over the trade unions, which will fill out mm. in the course of the movement that will develop. So Tony Mulhern is a model, really, of a working class fighter and a man of ideas, not just a militant who's prepared to fight, but had a head on his shoulders, was able to work out when others, maybe coming from a different background, couldn't see the situation, nevertheless he had an intuition on what was possible in fighting for a particular point of view amongst the working class. At one stage he was being pushed by people to take over the District Labour Party or to challenge for the chairmanship of the District Labour Party and he refused to do that. Mm. And I supported him in his refusal to do that because 
the ground was not yet prepared. So he had a head on his shoulders, like all Marxists have to, to understand strategy, tactics, and also when to strike and when to take the movement forward. But above all, to have the willpower, which is born of the confidence in working people to struggle. Because mm. we've seen the working class fight. We've seen the marvellous movements, the 6,000 that we had in the Albert Hall, the enthusiasm, the 7,000 to 8,000 that we had in Alexander Palace. Mm. Unfortunately, the collapse of Stalinism was a colossal bonus for the capitalists, where they were able to use a, a campaign to ideologically discredit socialism. We maintained the organisation, we maintained the party, we were rooted in the trade unions, a new period is opening up now, when colossal battles can develop in relation to Brexit, but not just Brexit, on the industrial front. And it won't just be in one country. We see the revolt that's taking place in Latin America today, in Ecuador, the earthquake that's coming in Argentina, the situation in Brazil with this right-wing populist rotten regime mm. will not be able to last in the teeth of a mass movement. So a new period of struggle will open up, a new period of socialism will open up, and a new period for militants, and the CWI will open up as well. So perhaps the greatest tragedy is that having been this central figure in this mass struggle of the working class in the 1980s, and having fought alongside so many others to keep the ideas alive during the very difficult period following the collapse of Stalinism, that Tony hasn't been able to see a little bit more of this tumultuous period which is opening up with great opportunities for the working class to put its stamp on events and fight for socialist change. Listeners can read more about the incredible battles that Tony, Peter and others were part of and the many valuable lessons those battles have for the struggles ahead of us today in the books Liverpool, A City That Dared to Fight, The Rise of Militant, both of those are available from leftbooks.co.uk and also of course in Tony's newly published autobiography The Making of a Liverpool Militant but for workers and young people inspired by the record of Tony Mulhern and the record of the militant what would you say they should do? Well they should read those books first of all Sure. Knowledge is power and knowledge of the labour movement and of the working class is immense power and they should take the step of they're not a member of the trade unions, they should join the trade unions because they are the ultimate organisation of the working class. It's not an end in itself because we need, of course, a party, a mass party of the working class that stands for socialism, that stands for a democratic socialist revolution because mm -hmm. that's what it will involve, to take the power away from big business and put it into the hands of the working people mobilised in democratic organisations to control a planned economy. And they should join, of course, as the first step to that. Look at our ideas. If you like what you've heard, get in touch with the Socialist Party. Join the Socialist Party, because the future belongs to the next generation in particular. You say, you know, it's a tragedy that he's died at this stage. It's always a tragedy when people die. But mm. he's got a lot to be proud of, and we have a lot to be proud of, and so is his family, and the working class, and the members of the Socialist Party have got a, a great deal to be proud of. We are part of the movement of the future. We are the movement of the future in the movement of the present, to quote Karl Marx. That will mean an organisation, building an organisation that learns from history, that learns from the struggles of the working class. This generation will do what the Communards did in the French Revolution when they marched towards the seat of the monarchy, when they, they had the slogan, you know, get out of the way because the people are coming. Mm. And the people are coming, that's what we say to Donald Trump. That's what we say to his pale imitator Boris Johnson. That's what we say to all the exploiters of the world. The people are coming and they're coming with anger and they're coming with determination and they're coming to fight against capitalism, which is threatening to drag humanity into this abyss and they're fighting for a new socialist and democratic world. That will be the outcome of this battle. So join the future by joining the Socialist Party and join the Labour Movement. Thanks very much, Peter. Thank you. This uh, situation cries out for an alternative strategy of uh, opposition to cuts, job creation, house building and all of the services required for people to live a civilised life in a civilised world. <laughs>
Moments in history like this make us question what we can do to influence things. As individuals, ordinary people have little power against the immense force of world events. But as we've heard this episode, working class and young people can have huge clout when together we discuss and fight for a clear set of ideas. This October, the Socialist Party is having a drive to recruit new members. Joining us now is Mark Best, the Socialist Party's national membership organiser. Hello, Mark. Hi, James. So why should you join the Socialist Party? Capitalism means chaos, war, poverty and destruction for most people on this planet. Mm -hmm. It's a system which is based on making profit for a few at the top, the bosses. And as you said, workers have the potential power in society, not as individuals, but by the collective struggle, that's when we can realise our strength. The Socialist Party fights for any reform we can wrestle off the bosses and for the socialist transformation of society. So if you're angry with the way things are and want to fight for socialism, that means taking the wealth and resources out of the hands of the capitalist class and democratically planning what we produce and how we run society. We think that we need to be organised and for that we need a party based on the working class to fight for our programme, to learn the lessons of the past, to apply them and to fight today. So if you want to be part of that fight, to discuss, to decide and to fight for a socialist future, then you should join the Socialist Party. Because as shown in Liverpool and across the world, we feel we have the analysis, the method and the willingness to learn alongside workers in struggle, which is necessary to achieve fundamental change. So who do we want to join the Socialist Party? We want everyone who wants to fight to put this system to bed. We want trade unionists fighting for better pay and conditions, community campaigners fighting against the cuts, people on universal credit at the sharp end of this brutal benefit system, Young people striking against climate change. And if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you should join the Socialist Party. So if you agree with our programme, which you can find in our weekly newspaper, The Socialist, and want to fight with us, then join. And what does being a member of the Socialist Party involve? Joining means committing to fighting with us and getting a say about our direction and what we fight for. Because joining the Socialist Party comes with rights and it also comes with responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So we ask all of our members to fight for and to build support for our ideas and programme, whether that's on regular street sales, selling our newspaper, or in the workplaces, the trade unions, schools, universities, etc. We also ask members to make regular financial commitments. The Socialist Party has no big business backers. We rely on the funding of ordinary working class people, whether that's our members or from donations that we get on the street. Joining the Socialist Party also means coming to our weekly branch meetings, taking part in the activity of the party. The branches are where we plan what we do, and we also have a political discussion. You can find a list of branch meeting topics, which hopefully will be near you, on our website. And how can you join the Socialist Party? The easiest way to join the Socialist Party would be to go on our website, and on the right-hand side, click Join Us. If you submit your details there, a member locally to you will be in touch to discuss with you what it means to join, what meetings we have on, and so on. Alternatively, you could email join at socialistparty.org.uk and we in the Socialist Party's national office can put you in touch with a member locally to you. Mm -hmm. Or you can ring us on 020-89-888-777. But I think if you're interested in joining the Socialist Party, one of the main things that you can do would be to look at coming to Socialism 2019, which I think is the perfect weekend to see the Socialist Party in action. Mm -hmm. It's a weekend of discussion and debate, which we hold in November, on November the 2nd and the 3rd. So if you want to discuss debate, key issues which are facing people wanting to fight back at the moment, of Brexit, of climate change, of socialism, uh, Marxism, then go to socialism2019.net to get your tickets. You can also see the programme there, and that's the 2nd and 3rd November in central London. It's a fantastic event. Everyone should come to it. Now, for those listeners who are outside England and Wales tuning into the podcast, how can they join the fight back? So the Socialist Party is part of an international organisation called the Committee for Workers International. And that's important to our work because we see that capitalism is a system which extends across the globe. Mm -hmm. And so the fight against capitalism must be international. And to do that, you need an international organisation. The Socialist Party, as part of the CWI, has sister organisations across the world. 
So if you want to look at the work that we do and to see our analysis, hopefully we will have articles about wherever you live, then visit socialistworld.net. Thanks very much, Mark. Thanks. And now we'll be hearing some updates on the latest workers' struggle and news and campaigning activities. So Scott Jones, Ian Patterson, welcome back. Hello. Hi, James. Thank you. Scott, I understand there's been a victory in the struggle by low-paid workers at the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Is that that? I've got the name of the department right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit, bit of a long one. Been a long dispute as well. Um, mm. You know, more than nine months of action, which we've fought on before. That includes three months of indefinite strike action. Mm. The caterers and the PCS trade union working in the government department, like you said. So they've been outsourced. They're employed by a company called Aramac. And they've won their fight for the living wage, London Fantastic. living wage. And they've also won double the number of sick days on full pay and at least three days more annual leave as well as the uh, living wage. You know, it's a massive victory. And it would give confidence as well to other workers in similar battles who are fighting at the moment, such as those working for another company in the same department called ISS and also PCS members at the Foreign Commonwealth Office who are fighting for the London living wage and similar terms and conditions. Now, Joshua, one of the strikers, he told a socialist this week, we won £10.55 an hour and the terms and conditions we demanded and it shows the action works and That's it definitely right. does. Yeah. And Marion Lloyd, who is the Socialist Party member standing to be a candidate in the General Secretary election of the union, she said, as BEIS group president, I want to pay tribute to members, a low-paid, diverse group of fighters, as well as the branch, now to secure a settlement for the members in ISS as well. This dispute shows that the potential for our union is massive. Now we must end the scandal of outsourcing and bring all the workers and services they provide back in-house. And there's been another victory as well, hasn't there, of workers for Sainsbury's, a supermarket? That's right, yeah. Again, we've covered this. We've attended the picket lines of workers at Waltham Point Distribution Centre, Sainsbury's Distribution Centre, who have taken two 24-hour strikes. And they forced the bosses to concede on the main issue of the dispute, which was a massive reduction in sickness pay from 26 weeks to just two. Uh, so they forced the bosses back on that. They're members of the shop workers union ESDO. They walked out on the 27th of June and the 25th of July. And a third strike at the end of September was called off after the company backed down. Mm. Now, the picket lines were fantastic. There was dozens of workers on them. They were supported by Socialist Party members, including ESDO President Amy Murphy, as well as ESDO members from other stores and companies who came down to give solidarity. And what it shows, you know, it's an example of the fight back needed to defend pay, terms and conditions across retail, push back against those supermarket bosses, and it shows workers can win. Yes, it does. Meanwhile, there's an enormous dispute brewing, we've talked about this in previous episodes as well, in the postal service. Yes, and we'll find out the result of the ballot soon, on the 15th of October. It's a national strike ballot, again, as we've talked about. Gary Clark, who's a communication workers union branch secretary in Scotland, wrote in The Socialist this week, you know, about the management bullying in Royal Mail, the company's failure to honour union agreements... And also plans to potentially cut tens of thousands of workers through restructuring and so on. Mm. Now, all indications point to a massive yes vote, as big if not better than the 89% yes vote which took place two years ago. And Gary says, after the ballot result is announced, we must plan for the fight of our lives. This clearly won't be resolved by short-term action, but is very likely to be a bitter dispute where we will need the support of the whole trade union movement. Well, that's something certainly which the Socialist Party, and I'm sure the listeners of this podcast, will be very keen to assist with. Definitely. So, Ian, what's been happening in the world of news and campaigning? Boris Johnson has said that because the Tories are the party of capitalism, they're going to be building 40 new hospitals in the next 10 years. How does that work? No surprise, this is a lie. (laughs) The Tories are the party of capitalism, but they're destroying the NHS. There's hospitals crumbling, denied the money for repairs that they need, not enough staff, as many people would know. In the Socialist Party, we say we need a general election to save the NHS from the Tories, and that Jeremy Corbyn, if he comes to power, should re-nationalise the NHS, nationalise the pharmaceutical companies to save the NHS from capitalism. And you've nicked a bit here from Scott, really. This is ASDA, Contract 6. What's been going on there? Well, as listeners would know, ASDA is imposing Contract 6 on its workers, making workers work at the drop of a hat for less. There's no need to impose this. The directors paid themselves £12 million in the last year. And scandalously, to workers that haven't signed up for the new exploitative contract, ASDA has been given out career advice leaflets on how workers can get a new job uh, in other places. (laughs) We say, and many of the workers say, it's well overdue that their union, the GMB, ballot for strike action. 
And the Tories have put a domestic violence bill to Parliament. Exactly. Obviously, it's a hugely important issue. Over two million people were affected by domestic violence in the last year. The government's bill does expand the definition of domestic violence, but £7 million has been cut from domestic violence services by council since the Tories came to power, and just in the last year, 21,000 people were turned away from refuges. Not only that, it doesn't say anything about the pay, benefits, decent homes and services people need in society to be able to escape violent relationships. And we say the cuts that have taken place by councils in this area, they have to stop. Meanwhile, there's been a counter-demonstration against so-called pro-life demonstrators in Waltham Forest in East London. A pro-life group, anti-choice, anti-abortion rights, has been campaigning in Walthamstow Town Square. Now, in the Socialist Party, we support women's right to choose when and whether to have children. Socialist Party member Nancy Taff was on the counter-protest, and she asked these so-called pro-lifers if they are really pro-life, Where were they when maternity services were cut in Waltham Forest? Where were they when the doctor's surgeries were closing? Where were they when the nurseries and school dinners were privatised? When the libraries were closed? When schools and colleges faced cuts? And when the Socialist Party was campaigning for decent housing for all working class people in the borough? Because those are the things which are required to give women a real choice so that they can choose to have children if they want to. Precisely. And this new film, Joker, has become an international phenomenon. Yeah, it's been reviewed in The Socialist this week. Shop worker Ryan from Plymouth has written a review. He really liked the film. He liked that it portrayed cuts to mental health services and the cruelty by the rich, creating the monster character of the Joker, who, despite doing terrible things, the audience sympathises with. Due to the incredible poor treatment he's received at the hands of the brutal system of capitalism. And in Leeds, there's been a victory for housing campaigners. Yes, we can celebrate a victory. LS26 residents in Leeds have forced the Labour Council to stop the demolition of their homes. One of the campaigners said, what I would say to other tenants facing this situation is don't give up. The little people can win. We've proved it. Get organised and don't be afraid to ask for help. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for Workers International. This week we heard from Peter Taff, speaking to James Ivans, along with recordings of Tony Mulhern, and we also heard from Mark Best, Ian Patson, and myself, Scott Jones. Help us spread the word by giving us a five-star review, and subscribing so you don't miss out. And don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. We want you to join the discussion. Come to Socialism 2019, a weekend of dialogue and debate on political ideas to change the world, on the 2nd or 3rd of November in central London. Find out more and book tickets at socialism2019.net. We also want you to send us recorders from picket lines and campaigns and reports of your activity. And we want your questions, comments and ideas for future episodes. Email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We survive thanks to the financial support of ordinary working class and young people and we're proud of the political independence that gives us. If you like what you hear, Help us take the fight to big business. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. And if you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for, we need you. Join our fight for a winning strategy in the Labour and Trade Union movement. Join the Socialist Party now. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. And if you live outside England and Wales but want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. Till next time, solidarity.